Thanks for downloading this podcast from RNIB Connect Radio. You're listening to The Morning Mix with me, Jill Barkley. If you've just joined us, then a very warm welcome to the programme. Now, all day, we've been featuring some of the stars of a BBC Three documentary that took place yesterday. Uh, you can access the documentary, and I'll tell you how a little bit later on. But joining us now is one of the stars of this documentary. It's our little fashionista from Fashionista, Emily Davison herself. Hello, Emily. Hello. How are you this week? I'm good, I'm good. I went to a Christmas party last night, so I'm absolutely exhausted and I've been working this week. So I'm enjoying having a few days to just um, veg out and watch Christmas films and uh, just do some nice things and just relax. So I'm good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. And may I say a big congratulations to uh, your sterling performance on uh, BBC Three's documentary last night, uh, Things Not to Say to a Blind Person. It's really fantastic. Oh, thank you very much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I had so much fun filming it. Um, you know, literally, if you saw the uncut version, I think it would just be like there'd just be so much, like so much, like stuff in there. But it was, it was a great, great time, and I had so much fun working with uh, Nikki, um, who I filmed with on that day, and it was great. So I'm, I'm really pleased with the reception it's had. Well, listen, we'll talk about that in just a little while. But, you know, we know you best on this programme for your beauty and fashion blogging. You are the fashionista from Fashionista. But <laughs> we want to sort of get, get our listeners to know you a little bit better and find out a bit about your eye condition. Now, you were diagnosed uh, as a baby with septo-optic dysplasia. Can you tell us a bit about what that is? So septoptic dysplasia is not a very well-known condition because at the time when I was diagnosed, there were only three other people in the UK that were officially diagnosed with it. Um, but it's basically it's an endocrine condition. So septoptic dysplasia is a congenital congenital condition which affects the nerve at the back of the brain. So it affects the optic nerve, but it also affects the pituitary gland as well, which controls uh, my hormone functions and my endocrine system, which it's basically our stress reactions. It's the way our body naturally uh, reacts to stress and to stress-induced situations. So I don't produce any hormones. Uh, like uh, I don't, I, my, my thyroid gland doesn't work. I don't produce cortisol. I, I, I can't regulate my blood sugar levels on my own. I have to have um, medication and I have to consume sugar to do that. Uh, I'm on medication every day. I can't make growth hormone. Uh, but also, aside from that, um, the kind of invisible side of my disability, I've also got a visual impairment because my optic nerve has been severed. So one of my eyes, uh, I have no sighting whatsoever. I'm completely blind in my right eye. And I've only got central vision in my left eye. And I can't see very far distances. And I've got nystagmus too. So my eyes involuntarily shake. And uh, it's um, it, it, it's the type where it's not pendulum nystagmus. It's the one where your eyes can't exactly focus for very long. So... Um, it's congenital nystagmus. So I've got all kind of that going on um, So with regards to my eyesight. And I've had that since I was born. Um, and I was only officially diagnosed with that when I was about one and a half years old. Um, but I have had it since I was a baby. I've always had it for all of my life. Now, it must have been a kind of dream come true for you in a way when you heard that, that Katie Price's little boy had the same condition as you. And I don't mean that to, to sound, you know, flippant or, you know, obviously we'd rather you didn't have the condition and he didn't have the condition. But he really did bring septo-optic dysplasia to the fore for many people because nobody had ever heard of it until Katie Price's uh, little boy Harvey was diagnosed with it. 
Yeah, and I think, I mean, with sexual dysplasia, it can affect people in so many different ways. I mean, Harvey is an example of how you can have other elements of the condition. Like, I think he also has, you know, uh, other kind of hormone deficiencies as well as having uh, autism as well. And, you know, there are examples, obviously, some some people can have prayable disabilities as well. Some people don't. Some people have it a little bit more mild than I do. Other people have it a little bit more um, more symptoms than I do. I mean, sexual optic dysplasia is a very kind of diverse bag of people. And we're all very different in the way it affects us. Um, because, I mean, and, and there's still not lots known about it. There's still a lot of research that's going in at the moment. And they're finding out new things every day. And, you know, there are still things they're finding out about me every day. Like, for example, my body produces is too much salt so I can't have crisps all the time you know so I mean but yeah definitely I feel like you know the fact that Katie Price made this documentary once about her son and you know his disability after a comedian made some flippant remarks about his disability I feel that that did really show you know how kind of a pituitary condition can affect someone and you know some of the things that you know people who have endocrine disabilities have to do on a daily basis like taking medication and you know um, having to have injections every day like I do so I mean I do feel like it has you know raised awareness but I think it's like with with any disability I think people need to bear in mind that it's very diverse you know every disability is different and it's not going to affect everyone in the same way so I'm very different to Harvey but you know the, the next person you meet with, with the same condition as me will probably be very different to myself as well um we're all very different we're a very mixed bag of people it's very like blindness. You know, a lot of people uh, assume that people who say they're blind can't see anything. And that's one of the things that we'll touch on a little bit later on. But how did your septo-optic dysplasia affect you at school? Because obviously, you know, you're, you're blind in one eye, you've got central vision in the other. You did go to a mainstream school, Emily, didn't you? But you, you had a, a VI class that you were in. I did, yes. I mean, when I was in primary school, I had a, a horrific time. I won't go into it too much now because I'd be here for a century, but it wasn't a very good experience. And then when I went to secondary school, I had a much better experience because I did have a visual impairment unit in the school. So there was a lot of visually impaired pupils there that I could chat to and that I was actually friends with. And I got taught, they taught me how to touch type. They taught me how to orientate with a with a long cane. Um, and I started to find my feet and I got a lot of support from my teachers. Um, I mean, to be honest, I always got bullied throughout my most of my schooling life. That's just how it was for me, unfortunately, uh, you know, from primary school to secondary school. Um, I mean, secondary school, it got to the point where I actually did uh, become anorexic because of it. And, um, you know, people didn't understand that my condition, my, my medication that I was on did make me gain weight and water retention. It wasn't my fault. But, um, you know, so, so that, that was a very difficult time. And also because people didn't really understand my disability I didn't really feel that I was accepted at school um and it was very difficult but uh after about a year and a half of battling anorexia when I was about to go into my uh A-levels um or my GCCs actually rather uh I got my act together I studied very hard I did very well did my A-levels and then I went on to university and um you know I've had the happiest you know four years of my life it's been the best so um, it's going like my fairy tale ending, if you will. Um, but yeah, I mean, at school, I mean, I had a good experience, but I did get bullied quite a lot, and that did that that did uh, prove a lot of challenges, obviously, because growing up with a visual impairment is difficult enough, and then when you get ridiculed for it, it makes it even more difficult because there's nothing you can do to change it. It is what it is, and there's nothing you can do to 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 revoke that sight loss. It is what it is. Do you feel that the bullying was down to your sight loss or do you think it was down to, you know, maybe your weight fluctuating at school? I mean, what was it? Do you think it was because you were pretty? 
um, I don't know. I mean, it was a mixture of things, really. I mean, I think we, everybody can get ridiculed for something. You know, you, you've got if, if you have braces, if you're intelligent. I mean, like, people used to call me Boderick because I was really smart. So probably was that I was very bookish. Um, I had ginger hair. You know, uh, I did have braces at one point, but I didn't really get bullied for that, luckily enough. That was the only thing they didn't bully me for. Um, so I mean, I think it was my sight loss because I always used to walk into things and I had to have uh, support workers to, you know, to read out kind of like documents to me. So I did get ridiculed for that. And, uh, you know, I think it was my weight fluctuation as well. I mean, it was a, a number of things. You know, I had to wear sports goggles when I went to PE and I used to get ridiculed for that. Um, so I think it was a combination of all things, really. Uh, but I think maybe... Because I'm, I've always, I was always quite a shy person uh, in, in, in terms of interacting with my peers. And I wasn't the sort of person who would stick up for myself. Uh, that's completely changed now because I'm, no, I'm, I'm totally different. But at the time, I, I, I didn't really stick up for myself. So I think because I wasn't the sort of person who would have a go back and, and make remarks back, I didn't really uh, ever help myself out of that situation because I wasn't a very uh, you know extroverted person at the time. So I think that also contributed to it as well because I didn't actually say no. Can you can you leave me alone and can you actually you know do a reality check because you're not actually making any sense. But at the time I didn't really um, I didn't really do that. I, I I just sat there and took it, which I shouldn't have done. I should have said something, but I didn't at the time. It's very hard at school because you're trying to fit in 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 so many different kind of ways, uh, you know. And if you're smart, you're bullied. If you, you know, have a particular hair color or, like you say, braces or some kind of disability you know it, it doesn't matter people will find uh something to zone in on if they take you know a, 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 an instant dislike to you and you know it happened to me at school you know I I was called fat and I, I wasn't fat I mean I was a wee skinny kind of teenager uh about 12 or 13 years old and uh, somebody just called me fat one day they wrote a horrible letter to me and left it under my pillow because obviously I was at a boarding school um, and I was so upset by this that, you know, it had a knock on effect and I was bulimic for years because of this. So, you know, one small comment can really, really lead to, you know, such a huge thing. I mean, you were nearly at death's door, Emily, with, with your anorexia, weren't you? Yeah, I mean, I was hospitalised twice um, and it was a concern because obviously I'm hypoglycemic. I, I get that very badly and, uh, you know, my, my doctors were very concerned and there was at points they was going to, they, they, they were going to consider taking me to extensive counselling. Um, and I think that's what made me, I, I think because I started to consider my, 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 my life and to consider, you know, what I was doing and I realized that I wasn't making my life any more pleasant by what I was doing and I think because I realized that my anorexia wasn't my friend it wasn't a voice that was trying to help me it wasn't like it's something that that was helping me move forward it was holding me back and it was secluding me from my family and preventing me from actually having a life I realized that I needed to actually treat it as something to face and not as something that I should embrace so I, I started to try and move forward with that and I think because of that I was able to move on from my anorexia and I focused all my attention on my studies and um, you know I did really well and then also I started to love makeup because I wanted to make myself feel better and have that element of control in my life that I didn't have because of my disability so that's where my love of fashion really grew and you know blogging and makeup because I started to use that instead of the the uh, weight control and eating and rigorous ex exercising and calorie counting so I think that was where it started to grow from because of that and uh, because of that you know it's in effect it did it, 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 it save me you know it did it, it help me to move on and it helped me to 
you know, get get through that time of, 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 of my education and to move on into something better. Well, do you know, you're so right in saying that, that you know, anorexia is not your friend. I mean, anorexia, bulimia, it, it's a mental condition as well as a physical condition. And your mind is not your friend. So, you know, I've always kind of lived by that mantra. You know, you don't listen to everything uh, that your head is telling you. Sometimes, you know, you're, you're actually better to listen to your heart. But... Um, moving on to to talk a bit about um, RNIB in your life. Now, you mentioned that you were quite bookish, and I know that, that you would love to be a children's author one day, and you've done phenomenally well. But, you know, you're a huge fan of RNIB talking books, aren't you? Yeah, I am. I mean, I'm a massive fan of the Overdrive service. I think it's a great new kind of thing, and I, I'm so glad it's a thing now that people can access because when I was younger, there wasn't anything like this. There wasn't any apps or uh, access to iPads when I was at school and it would have made it so much easier to actually read books and have you know a really pleasant experience um, and I'm glad it's a thing now because I love you know accessing the materials and stuff and I think it's so great to see that so many more books are becoming available now and people with visual impairments can access them as easily as they could if they was to walk into a library so I think it's a very liberating thing to have more talking books that are available for um, you know people with visual impairments. Now, you are a big supporter of RNIB, so uh, I know they're a big supporter of you too, Emily. And uh, when RNIB got in touch with you uh, regarding this BBC Three documentary, Things Not to Say to a Blind Person, I mean, this must have been music to your ears because I know that, you know, over the years, you and I have been, you know, we've become very good friends uh, off air. And, uh, you know, we, we chat about things and we chat about the things that people say and the things that people do. And uh, this must have been a dream come true for you to be able to, to vent something of that well yeah well actually i mean it was someone from the bbc3 who got directly in touch with me and i said oh the rnib has recommended you to us um because we've seen some of your videos and they they, they said that you'd be a really great ambassador to have so it was lovely that you know the rnib did actually think of me as a, as a you know a good uh, candidate to do this project and you know then we uh, chatted about some of my misconceptions that i've got faced and things people have said to myself about my visual impairment and some funny anecdotes and then it went from there really and you know it's it was it, it was so much fun to get involved with and i met so many people who kind of have similar experiences to my own so i really did enjoy it and um i was just really pleased that the rnib you know mentioned me to the bbc3 and put me forward as a candidate to do the project because it was so much fun to film. I had I had the best time. I don't think I've ever laughed so much filming something as I did in my entire life. Do you know, it sounded like everybody had so much fun doing it. And although it's a pretty serious topic, you know, I think people have to um, realise that, that, you know, living with sight loss isn't all doom and gloom. It's horrible. I would love to get my sight back tomorrow, Emily. And I know that, that in many ways for you, you feel you're happy and confident enough in your life that, that you know, it, it doesn't really kind of get in the way. It, it wouldn't bother you if you didn't, which is, is brilliant. Um, having had perfect sight I would love to get my sight back but um, yeah of course I think you know it, it, it was just so uplifting to hear all these blind people together just having a really good laugh uh, uh, you know the things that people say that we should we shouldn't ridicule them because you know it's it's not their fault <laughs> it need they need educating and that's our job as ambassadors for you know RNIB or, or our disability but uh, what are some of the things that that annoy you the most I think, you know, you're going to know what the first one is. So it's probably going to come as no surprise to you or anybody listening. But I can't stand it when people say you don't look blind. 
um, you know, that was why I started my blog in the first place because of a comment I got, someone said that to me and it really annoyed me because what should I look like just because I can't see or have limited vision? Um, that for me is one of the biggest things, you know, people go, oh, but you're dressed really well for a blind person or you look good considering or, but you don't look blind. How can you be blind if you're wearing makeup or if you're wearing high heels, you know, it's what, so is there a law against wearing high heels when you're blind? I didn't realise that. And that I think is one of the things that annoys me the most. It's one of my major bugbears because it's something that I think people misconstrued because I've seen so much of cartoonism and media have projected this image of people with visual impairments in particular wearing an anorak and dark sunglasses and having a very nondescript kind of smile and being very miserable and just just to be very nondescript I think that's what the image that you always get from sight loss which is not true and it's not reflective of the two million people who live with sight loss who are happy and you know do great things and who are dynamic and diverse in their own right so I think that's a big thing for me it's you don't look blind is one of my major ones it's funny you say that, actually, because I remember a friend of mine who was a school teacher many, many years ago uh, and about a stone ago. Um, she had said to me that, you know, would you come into the class and, you know, talk to the kids? Because I'm covering the senses at the moment. And every time you open a book that mentions a blind person, it's always a little old man called Percy wearing a flat cap or a little old oh. lady with a purple rinse called Maud. And no offense to any, you know, purple haired Mods out there or... No. Uh, flat-capped Percy's out there, you know. But, you know, they just seemed like little old people that, that didn't really do much. And she said, I want you to come in with your leather trousers on and your hair all done and your makeup and your high heels and show the kids that, that you know, being blind, you know, is is not just something that can happen to older people. It can happen to young, trendy people too. Yeah, it's not, it's, it's indiscriminate. It doesn't pick who it's going to target. And, you know, you can be, uh, you know, a baby and be blind. You can be, you know, in your hundreds and be blind. It, it, does, it doesn't matter. Um, and I think that's the thing. And also, it's, you know, it's, it's, you see it it's, it's, it's in the media, it's always kind of portrayed as it's going to be, you know, males who are of, uh, you know, a certain skin colour. It's usually white males. And that's just so not true because sight loss affects many people from different kind of diverse backgrounds. And I think it's time to represent that. But I think that's kind of across the board within the media of disability as well. It's very one-sided in who it represents. Um, and that's a massive thing. But then, you know, there are other things, of course, you know, like people will say things like, you know, oh, um, isn't there a cure for this? Or, you know, wouldn't you like to kind of have laser eye surgery? Wouldn't glasses help? Um, I mean, the most ludicrous one I get is when people say, it's amazing how your guide dog can read the bus numbers. And I'm like, she can't. <laughs> yeah, well, it is funny, actually. You know, I'm just thinking back to, to questions that people ask me. And it's it's a lot of the time, you know, focused around my guide dog. People think that I have my guide dog harnessed up in my house and, you know, use them to get from my sofa to the bathroom or from, you know, the shower to my bed. And they don't realize that in the home, his harness is off. Uh, he's in his bed. He is, you know, not the least bit interested in me when I'm in the house and that I can move about freely in my house. But, you know, it's, it's I suppose it's just one of those things that, that, it has got better over the years, Emily, I have to say. I mean, when I look back to the last 20 years, 
and think of the things that that you know people used to say and think of blind people i think you know charities like rnib do a magnificent job of of spreading the word and getting the kind of knowledge out there and there's there's still lots to be done but you could say that of any disability or any organization so i definitely think we're getting there just finally emily what is your big issue as a blind person what's the thing that annoys you the most or you know what's your biggest issue I think for me, one of my biggest issues is when um, people will come up to me and approach me and, you know, if they want to give me help, that's absolutely fine. But it's when they don't ask and they impose help upon me or they presume I want, I, I need something or that I, uh, that I'm, I, I'm struggling and they'll like, they'll grab me by the, by the arm or, you know, the other thing is they'll talk to the person who's with me and not me and they'll kind of treat me as a entity like I don't have a voice to speak for myself and that I don't know my own mind and I don't know my own capabilities uh, but on the other hand though I get um, other people who believe that I'm lying about my vision impairment I think that's the biggest thing you know I get it all the time people on my YouTube channel they'll say you know that they'll try and question whether or not I am actually visually impaired and they'll try and catch me out almost as if I'm you know making up this massive lie that I have been throughout my life and that I actually am not blind because I look too inverted commas. I look too good, or I, I look I, I I manage my life too well to be blind allegedly. So I think for me, it's that when people assume that I'm lying, that's the biggest annoyance to me. Because why would I want to lie about anything like that? Yeah, it's not worth the disabled badge for the car. It's really not. You <laughs> it's know, not. it's not worth a free entry. <laughs> Oh dear, mind you, I did get into the cinema free last week. It, you know, it saved a fortune. But in all seriousness, Emily, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're such an amazing ambassador for uh, RNIB and for, for our disability. And thank you so much for coming on every week to talk to us. Obviously, if anybody wants to take a look at your blog, have you got your blog address? I have indeed. It is www.fashionista.com and it's spelled like F A S H. I-O-N-E-Y-E-S-T-A dot com. And you can check out all my blogs on there. I do a lot of, you know, fashion and disability blogs uh, as well as beauty. Um, at the moment, I'm doing a lot of Christmas blogs, but I have done quite a few disability ones as well. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter, Facebook. You can also find me on YouTube. And you can also check out my podcast channel that I carry around called Fashionability too. The omnipresent Emily Davidson. She's <laughs> everywhere. She's absolutely everywhere. Listen, thank you so much for joining us. And obviously, if you want to see Emily starring in this fabulous documentary, there's such a bunch of great, great guys. Do log on to our Facebook page. The link to the documentary is there. It's uh, facebook.com forward slash RNIB Connect Radio. Emily, we'll catch up with you next week. Thanks for joining us here on the radio station. It's a pleasure as always. For more downloads like these, visit rnibconnectradio.org.uk slash podcasts.